Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. The race is not always to the swift. In a scene reminiscent of the tortoise and the hare, the Steelers stood slouched against a wall near the finish line. One foot on the sidewalk, the other propped against the red brick building. Fedora hat tipped forward over the brow and Marlboro hanging jauntily from their lips, figuring that once again, they would saunter from the shadows to achieve yet another heroic finish with time expiring. It was not meant to be. The Denver Broncos methodically produced one score per quarter, finishing the race with a 24-17 victory. It's November 26, 2018, episode 67. This is Tom from the D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. We hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend, because we did up until 7.30 Eastern time. It was a great time until it wasn't. So by now, I think we've all digested a little bit, although it was easy to tell what happened in this game, both while it was happening and right after it finished. The Steelers lost a game that they absolutely dominated because of a few boneheaded plays by some knuckleheads out there on the field for the Steel Men. And uh, what should have been a convincing victory on the road in Mile High Stadium turned into one of those classic Steelers lose to a lesser opponent. But it wasn't the same flavor that it usually is. Usually the Steelers come out flat and they just can't get anything done. Wasn't the case here. Mike Tomlin had the boys ready. They just had a bunch of freak turnovers, pretty much all of them in enemy territory. And they handled or they handed the victory to the Broncos, uh, compromising uh, both our playoff position and the outlook for the next few games. But son, I felt like we were in a in a fog that whole game. I mean, it didn't feel like we we're going to lose that game. It felt like we were well. Clearly, we weren't scoring enough. There were records set in this game, and it was actually enjoyable. You had the crazy play from Boz to Al Villanueva. You had the 97-yard touchdown pass. A.B. gets first guy to 800 receptions in you know, the shortest amount of time. Ben with a crazy number of completions. But uh, it was all for naught. It was sort of a Potemkin village. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the last time I've seen a, a team turn the ball over four times in enemy territory. And I, I wouldn't categorize it as uh, seeming like we were in a fog. It was just the opposite. We just moved up and down. Maybe if the fog was a was the fedora-tipping casual nature of the team, like you mentioned earlier, sure. Like, oh, we turned it over at the one again. We'll be fine. We'll come back. We'll get them. Well, that's not how I felt. I like I said on last week's episode, I thought this was going to be a close game. So with every score that we handed to the Broncos, I got a little bit more nervous. But, man, the, the time of possession, Steelers crushed that, 35 minutes to 25 minutes. The yards, 527 yards to 308. And we are, we're not even talking about 
the hundred plus yards that the Steelers left on the field with an overthrow and a drop. And then the the last one I'll give you is the first downs, twenty five to seventeen. The Broncos were only twenty seven percent on third down. Broncos were not an extraordinary team. The story we thought would be of us losing would be Von Miller dominating Chooks. That didn't happen either. Let me clarify what I meant by being in a fog. I mean, we were experiencing this overwhelming offensive firepower, yet the points weren't coming on the board. And I yeah. always felt like, oh, the points will come. Right. The points will come. I wasn't, my chest wasn't tight like it normally is in a tight game. It felt like the domination is so complete. This just, this is going to break loose. And then when Juju caught the long pass, it felt like, okay, here we go. We're done. Yeah. Let's get the, uh, let's break out the champagne. But uh, it never really materialized. No, you're totally right. And it, it did feel like they were in control because they moved the ball the whole game. Usually when we see these crappy away game losses during the daytime, the first we go three and out a couple times. Well, I think the first drive was 10 plays. The second drive was like 14. I mean, we had them where we wanted them and we were killing them in a variety of ways. I mean, obviously heavy, heavy dose of Ben Roethlisberger passes. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to want to point to that, but really, man, especially in the first quarter when half of those passes are screen passes those are sort of de facto runs as they are but you saw the Steelers attack in every part of the field and yeah the the Broncos made some big plays on offense here or there but overall it was nothing intimidating and the defense held when they need to have when they need to hold and at the end of the day there are a few different factoids we can dive into for this game and we can get into the minutiae and we will but there's only one story it's four turnovers to zero you can't win turning over that many times, and obviously you know the Steelers' defense isn't going to get you any turnovers. So the Steelers gift wrap the game. That's it. Yeah, I think there's a lot to look at statistically, but that's what it comes down to. We can go through each of those each of those drives and each of those turnovers and convert that to what should have been. I mean, if half of those turnovers were um, if half of those turnovers turned into the scores that they were likely to be, not only would the Steelers rack up some more points, Denver wouldn't have had the ball where they did because, frankly. They had one one drive that had over double digit plays. Yeah. The rest of them, we kind of set them up either with field position, or uh, I mean, they did have a couple. Of, you can't deny they did have a couple of nice plays. They were sure. sort of running all over. They had some big running splash, splash plays and made good use of their tight ends. They did, and uh, some of the Steelers' failures. I mean, you're right. What you said earlier, like if you took half of the turnovers, was like we'll even give you two turnovers if we still turn it over twice particularly just the the Xavier Grimble fumble I mean getting a wide open touchdown off of a beautiful Kyle Shanahan Sean McVay looking play where we were third and two and we play action faked and did a total misdirection where the tight end Xavier Grimble squeaked out to the opposite side of the field wide open unseen to anybody catches the ball he's going to run for a touchdown instead of cutting back he admits in the pre- in the post game that he wanted to run the guy over. Apparently, he doesn't know how to run people over, and he fumbles out of the back of the end zone. So that's automatic seven or six automatic six points, right? I mean, that's, that's zero point zero zero. That's how zero. many we got. Yeah, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Yeah. Anyway, well, in hindsight, guess we'll work on that this week. Yeah, so, I mean, they – and it's not really just the turnovers that killed the Steelers. There were two enormous missed opportunities. 
particularly, I don't know if it was the first play of the second half, but it was at the very beginning of the second half when Ben missed a totally uncovered juju for what would have been a, what, a 75-yard touchdown? I mean, he didn't have anyone with 20 yards of him. The Steelers did a great job in the first half, led by the feet master, uh, basically attacking the Broncos in a very New England Patriots-type way with all the little paper cuts, screen passes, drag routes underneath, quick outs to the sidelines, and they hit 25 completions in the first half, which was a record for Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, Feetmaster did something that we have been charting that good offensive coordinators do, which is you set teams up with one thing to hit them with the home run or a counter later. And that first play of the second half or whatever it was, they sent Juju on that out route that we've been hitting all in the first half, and then he just turned it upfield and left that guy in the dust, and Ben just overthrew him. And that would have been – Ben would have been almost at 600 yards passing if we had completed that one. So there you have 14 points. Grimble, if you would have just sidestepped or leaped, leapt, and passed to Juju, 14 points. Xavier got into the end zone too. He just let go of the ball while he was going in. So, And then uh, obviously the James Washington, James Washington, we'll have to talk about him later, but James Washington inexplicably dives for a ball where he could have had a running 50-yard touchdown or at least a 50, you know, a 30-yard play, worst-case scenario. But Steelers just left it out on the field over and over again. Um, Ben, obviously, missing Juju on that play, that's pretty inexcusable. And the interception he threw at the – at the goal line and the game, it was weird. I know he talked about how Marquise Pouncey blocked that defensive nose tackle too well, and he blocked him into the play. But when you rewatch that thing, even if that nose tackle didn't pick it, it was getting picked. I mean, Chris Harris ran the route for Antonio Brown, so can't excuse those from Ben and otherwise, which was a spe- otherwise a spectacular day for him. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned Connor earlier that. That ball wasn't even touched. I mean, that just squirted out of his upper body. I think is they, they probably hit him below the hips on that. Yeah, so the last play of the third quarter, so basically the fourth quarter, if for you guys keeping score at home, we talked about this last week. James Conner, for whatever reason, he's got butterfingers when the game is on the line. Do I think that's going to be permanent? No. Do I apologize to Janie for saying that? Yes, I'm sorry. But it's what – four games now where he's dropping the ball, at least three where he's dropping the ball in the fourth quarter. I do think he'll get over it, but right now the guy is totally in his head. You can see it when the camera shows him on the sideline after that drop against the Jaguars and then after the fumble here against the Broncos, which, by the way, the man himself, Dave Damashek, pointed out on Twitter was the exact part of the field where Bradley Roby forced the fumble in the, vi- in the divisional playoff game against the fumbler himself, Fitzgerald Toussaint. And, and Roby forced it again here by hitting James Conner in the leg, hit him in the leg, and James Conner just uh, flung the ball into the air to the Broncos. Inexplicable. I'm just looking up uh, Le'Veon's fumbles. In five seasons, he had eight fumbles. Interestingly, he had, his, he had one in his first season, zero for two more seasons, Four and six, four in 2016, and three in 2017. Yeah, I think he got it. I think it took him 900 something carries to get to four fumbles, and it's taken James Conner like 230 carries or something. So, yeah, obviously, listen, we don't want to trash James Conner. Um, really, to be realistic here, if we want to be totally grounded, which we are. 
this is obviously a plot from the football gods. I think we can all agree on that, right? They're just creating more adversity for James Conner to overcome so that his story becomes even more glorious when he's hosting, hoisting that Lombardi. That's the how, many, how many players throughout the NFL history do you think had a last name of Bell? A crap load. There's Tatum Bell. There is another Bell. And then there's a, another Bell who even played for another team. Yeah, I'm at 25 and there's more to go. So we won't board the audience. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out for the next time. I remember thinking that when we drafted him, I'm like, damn, if, you, if you're named Bell, the chances of you going to the NFL as a running back are significantly higher than if your name was, I was going to say Johnson. I was like, no, 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 they probably got a lot of Johnsons at running backs. I can already think of three. But either way, Bell, classic NFL name, especially for running backs. Let's talk a little bit about situational football from the offensive side for the Steelers. You aren't giving them credit for a red zone touchdown. So you're calling that a zero for two. Yeah, I can't get, I mean, the, the touchdown pass from Bahas to Villanueva was awesome. And we should actually take a second to appreciate that. Cause I know the line always teases Villy cause he's always asking for the tackle fake. That's it. So he can catch the ball because the man somehow, some way was a Sasquatch wide receiver at army. And if you watch some replays of him catching the ball, it's kind of miraculous. He looks like an ent, you know, the giant tree creatures from Lord of the Rings. I think Lord of the Rings just made two episodes in a row. I don't know how, but uh, yeah, he, he has, he's got some hands on him. So he finally got the touchdown, but this is going to be a theme we're going to give you guys throughout the course of this uh, podcast, because a lot of people on Twitter don't seem to be able to understand it. But when we're breaking down football games, we have to look at the process and not just the product. Yes, the end result is important, but how you got there from our standpoint is more important because then you can extrapolate how the Steelers are going to do against different teams or this or that or whatever, right? So I'm not counting the uh, fake kick as a successful red zone try. I look at that as the offense failed to score a touchdown. And I don't think you're going to see too many more touchdown passes from Boswell this year. But yeah, I don't know. So I think one of the, the key offensive statistic for me is the percentage of drives ending in a score. And the Steelers have an average of 39%. This one, they scored in only a quarter, number, a quarter of the drives they had. You know, the Steelers ran all over. They, they moved the ball, as you said, with alacrity. But the problem mm. was the percentage of drives ending in a score was 27% when the season averages almost 40%. Yeah, like finish. I said, I, I don't think that you're going to see too many more touchdown passes from Chris Boswell. And by the same token, I don't think you're going to see too many more Steelers players fumbling out of the back of the end zone or fumbling when they get hit in the legs or, you know, the, the, the interception bent through a midfield to uh, trying to hit a B it looked worse than it was. There's some gifts that came out on Twitter today showing that Bradley Roby was manhandling a B holding him by the arm, full fist, just holding his arm back. Um, and that's why Ben was yelling at the referees after that play. But you know what? That that happens sometimes. The only solace I can take from that is it wasn't like an inexplicable interception like he threw to Barry Church last week. And that's, again, looking at process. Now the interception at the goal line, that was bad process. That was, that was a bad job. But either way, you were talking more about situational football. So the thing that the Steelers have done so well in their winning streak after starting the season – what was it? One, two and one or whatever it was. They have been converting incredibly in the red zone. Always at second place or first place in the high seventies. Well, that has mm-hmm. kind of 
failed in the past two weeks while they've struggled in the games against the Jaguars and the Broncos. We knew the, the number would come down a little bit, um, but you still need to see the Steelers get that number back up. I think they will. Like I said, some of the fumbles and turnovers, that's crazy. But then 36% on third down, that's not going to cut it either. So moving to the defensive side of the ball, I would say, you know, the Steelers, other than splash plays, did a great job. The Broncos are used to to converting third downs at a 35% clip. We kept them to 25%. Unfortunately, we kept them at their season average in uh, points scored with 24. Even though we, you know, kept the lid on the number of of, of yards, 308 is what uh, they got this weekend. They're used to getting about 372. So, uh, I would say that it was a semi-dominating uh, defensive performance, but did not put a cap on their production. You know what? I, I just can't blame the defense at all in this game. And I don't think that they were flawless. And I do grade the Steelers' defense on a curve because, like I've said before, I think they do lack just a, a, a base level of talent you need to have in order to be an elite defense in the NFL. And then, like we've also been saying, I don't really know if there are any elite defenses. I thought, sure as hell, that one in Jacksonville was last week, but obviously they've been handicapped. Now, and the Steel, I know that the Broncos scored at, on at least uh, two of those turnovers, or they scored off of two of those turnovers, and obviously just kneeled it after Ben uh, threw the pick at the end of the game. So didn't even try to score after that one. But yeah, that, that's kind of on the offense there. The only thing you can really complain about with the defenses yet they definitely had some big splash plays those are going to happen you're playing in the nfl but they're just completely unable to create turnovers there's not a single player on that defense besides maybe joe hayden who you can even imagine if you close your eyes and think of a steelers player making an interception the guy has long hair and he's number 43 i just can't get anybody else into my mind when i think about that they're just unable think about this If, if you look at the numbers the NFL average for drives ending in a turnover defensively is 12%. The Broncos are at 12%. The Steelers are at 10%. It's kind of the edge of a knife, not a big difference. In this game, obviously, a quarter of our drives ended in uh, turnovers, and the Steelers got none. That That's a pretty pronounced difference. That's the difference in the game. Well, we can look at every other statistic. They don't matter. It's all about the turnovers. Well, let's look at the let's look at ourselves the same way we look at these other people. Let's see some context behind that stat. I'd love to know how many of the Steelers turnovers come against the Browns. Because the past two years, like Steelers get 20 sacks a year against the Browns and just the total ineptitude. And you wonder how that sort of tilts the scale. I think you're probably out there trying to look for it. It's going to take you a while, but uh, that's kind of my point is like, when have you ever seen the Steelers in recent years get a turnover in a meaningful game, you know, and especially by taking a turnover, not where Kevin Hogan, uh, when the fumbles, when the Patriots are playing Landry Jones and the Steelers and stuff like that, you just can't rely on them to get that. And there's not really one guy you can point to as getting a, a crucial sack, but we're kind of getting more on the negative right now towards the defense. And, and my main point of this was like, listen, I have very few complaints where they're at now is so much better than where they were at in the beginning of the year, and they did more than enough for the Steelers' offense to win. If they hold a team to 24 points, then the Steelers should be able to beat that. We expect the Steelers to be more around that 30-point mark, 
and they showed the ability to, they would have been well over that if they didn't have these freak turnovers in the red zone. And even to the defensive credit, the best thing I saw from them was they got the clutch stop in the fourth quarter, which let Benny get the ball back to make that uh, game almost game-winning drive. So they did a pretty good job on the road, nonetheless. Well, let's turn to our nemesis, social media. You've been spending a lot of time on Twitter, I think, to your uh, frustration and, and some of the some of the screeds that we read. There's a lot of good information there during the game. There's some smart people. But there is this theme, this unfounded theme about the pass-run ratio having an effect on the outcome. Yeah, so here's the thing. that people like to gang up on you and people get extra brave when they don't have to put a picture and they don't have to see anybody in person, right? But the worst thing is... The, the habit on Twitter is when you try and have an argument or, or a discussion with somebody, I probably shouldn't say this this joke because it's probably a little too lewd, but Dave Chappelle has a bit on that, how uh, his wife would always change the subject when you're in an argument. You'll address somebody like, well, <laughs> you'll say something, and they'll just totally disregard that to stay on their point. The big thing I've seen on Steelers Twitter over the last day or two is that People are convinced that the biggest reason for the Steelers' loss is the pass-to-run ratio, which was hugely skewed. Steelers had, I think, 56 passes, 14 runs. And if you look at all the Steelers' victories, uh, the, that ratio is much better. And like any time James Conner has been under 15 carries, the Steelers have lost or something like that. And, and, and some numbers that do suggest that balance is better for an offense, which I don't know how, uh, how smart you must be to realize that. I would have never thought – but here's the thing. People are just citing this. Oh, that's the problem if they ran more. What the hell are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? What are you smoking? What are you drinking? It's aged 200 years. If you think that the problem in this game was that the Steelers didn't run the ball enough. The Steelers basically had 600 yards of offense. They had a third string tight end fumble the ball out of the back of the end zone. If he didn't do that, the Steelers would have won. You could take away one turnover. How many times do you see a player on your team fumble out of the back of the end zone? Once every five years? Six years? Who knows? It's a weird thing to happen. Your running back gets hit in the leg. He fumbles. Well, you're, you get a field goal blocked. How many times does that happen a year? Maybe once a year? It was just the turnovers were the biggest issue. Was balance an issue? I, I can't even say it was, man, because the Steelers move the ball up and down the field at will. You're just... You know, could could James Conner have won, run it in the last play? Sure, yes or no. But you can't just take a statistic and say if they ran more, they would have won because clearly that was not the issue. One of our fellow Twitterites was trying to make the point that because we were predominantly passing, Denver was prepared for that. And somehow well, they were matter. able to stymie. Yeah, it didn't matter. I mean, that didn't suppress – our they production didn't at all it didn't suppress us when we wanted to run, frankly, even though, I mean, James didn't have his best season, but it, was, uh, it wasn't two yards of carry. So that argument really doesn't hold water. As you said, the production was there. We didn't complete the drives that were basically handed to us on a silver platter. They were sitting there ready for the taking. We didn't take it. Yeah, what do you want? I mean, if the Steelers didn't move the ball, then maybe I would say, oh, sure, they probably should have run more. But – how many times do you need to see this, the, the Patriots curb stomp us with 90% passes to realize that balance is – you don't just have balance for balance sake, right? If they can't stop your pass, 
then why would you stop doing it? We'd be complaining if they were if Ben was throwing for 250 yards in the first half and they started running it in the second half. We'd be complaining about that, right? I get the point that the people are trying to make that usually when you do have a sort of balanced offense like that, it's a better attack. But you can't just cherry pick that statistic with no context. And that's my problem with people right now is that they're saying like so many people are saying stats are stats. That's okay. Well. Let me answer that with two statements. Well, then why don't we just hand off to James Conner the first 30 plays in the game? Then we'll win, right? Because that's how stats work, right? If he gets 30 carries, we win. Or how about this? How about if a quarterback throws a perfect pass to a wide receiver in the end zone and it hits him in the hands and bounces up and then a cornerback intercepts it? Well, stats don't lie, man. He threw an interception. He shouldn't have thrown that. Uh, What? The stat doesn't show that the receiver handed it to the other team. So that's just my only thing is people refusing to provide context with stats. Speaking of which, we had a particular interaction with one Bucky Brooks of the NFL League, Sports Illustrated, former professional football player. You guys uh, locked horns. I didn't lock horns. Uh, I'm too much of a plebeian at this point, just throwing stones at his – NFL network castle, if you will. Well, maybe he uh, really didn't. He didn't reach out to us. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I overstated, but he was bloviating on the Le'Veon effect. Yeah, basically, he said uh, he quoted, I don't know if it was James Palmer or someone quoted the Broncos, one of their players, and then Vance Joseph, their coach, actually said this later. Their game plan was to double team 84 and 19. That's AB and Juju. They're going to leave everyone else singled up and leave seven people in the box because they're not that scared of 30, James Conner, and see what happens. And Vance Joseph and Bucky Brooks said, and look at it. It worked to great effect. Steelers offense only really scored 10 points. They don't give Chris Boswell credit either. And I don't – did they not watch the game? How did that work? How did 600 yards of offense work? It's not like last week when Jalen Ramsey took the ball from AB in the end zone or in the middle of the field, making amazing plays to turn the ball over. These were inexplicable turnovers. It wasn't like the, it wasn't like the no fly zone from a couple years in Denver where their defense stymied. Their defense didn't get a stop the whole game. How many times did we punt? Once or twice? Okay, great. You limited Antonio Brown. Well, Juju, and especially if Ben had hit the wide open pass to Juju, Juju would have gone for almost 300 yards. So your strategy did not work. That's a results bias kind of thing. And, and, and everyone wants to say it. So I know John Ledyard, a uh, big Steelers analyst and, and draft analyst, basically said the same things to Buck, same thing to Bucky Brooks. Like, wait, how did that work? 500 plus yards of offense and freak turnovers in the red zone and Ben missing a deep throw and James Washington missing a deep catch. How was that a, a successful defensive strategy? And he said, well, look at the game. They won the game, right? Like, oh, my God. Okay, man. Well, they didn't win the game because of the reason that you said they win the game. But whatever. No context. That's people's problems. Winner. Winner. You did so, have a point. I'll say this right before I move on, though. The Steelers do need a reliable third option behind Ben or behind uh, AP and Juju. And that had been the problem for the past few years. You needed to find a reliable third option behind uh, Le'Veon Bell and A.B. Martavis was that for a little bit, but he was inconsistent. Sammy Coates, obviously, that was kind of a disaster. And this year you thought you would have it because Juju obviously emerged. But still looking for one, my guy, Ryan Switzer. 
Looks like he's getting a bigger piece of the pot. And maybe Vance McDonald. We'll see. But he is right. They do need a more consistent third option. Why are you dismissing Vance, Vance McDonald? And even the outlaw yesterday. I think that Vance can be that guy, but he hasn't shown consistency over the season. We know what his, his upside is. We think he can be the man, but if he can, or maybe if we can just involve him in the game plan a little bit more thoroughly, I do think he could be that guy. And I figured he'll be that guy. But as of this point right now, he hasn't really taken over any games. Well, I think that X factor could be Alejandro Villanueva. Yeah, we move one. on. So you and I agree, the Steelmen played well in all facets of the game. I mean, honestly, it was mistake-driven. The offense needs to finish better. They need to stop turning over the ball. It's as simple as that. That would have been a dominating victory had we we'd not turned the ball over. Yeah, absolutely. So we're just we're going to move this along a little quicker here and get to a segment we're going to try and keep on here, which is the seventh point we're making here. How many times can a guy say here in one sentence? We're still training, right? But what does this mean for the Steelers going forward? Here at Steelers Outpost, see what I did there? We try to look at the process over the product. We want to know if the Steelers win against the Buccaneers, for example, and and the defense gets four turnovers. Is the defense good now? Do they get turnovers? Or did Ryan Fitzpatrick really just throw it right into their chest? Okay, well, he threw it right into their chest, and we saw how that worked out. But there were some other good things. You need to look at the offense, the defense, the special teams, and the coaching and see if they're improving over the course of the season. And here's the thing. This loss was maddening because you dominated in every facet of the game, and it was just one of those freak days, and you lost that game. That being said, I thought that The Steelers were completely prepared for the Broncos. I thought they came out strong. I thought it was awesome that the defense got a clutch stop. The offense should have completed a clutch last-second drive again. And uh, the mistake of a few Butterfingers guys kind of ruined the game. But I thought that the Steelers actually looked good in this game. And I, I think that they're continuing to be a team on the rise going into this brutal stretch coming up here in the season. Well, it doesn't feel like we're going to get steamrolled by anybody. I mean, the Steelers still can score points. I don't believe they're going to turn the ball over four times, especially in critical critical uh, junctures like they did this past game. So I'm actually positively disposed to the next few games. I mean, you have two games that you should should win, Oakland and the Bengals. I mean, anything, right. you know, any given Sunday, of course. But I don't feel uncompetitive with the Chargers or the Saints and the Patriots – Everybody talks about everybody at work who is a Patriots fan say the Steelers are going to win. I've heard that before throughout the records. Well, actually, you don't have to throw out the records. The Patriots are always good, but I I would not look past them, obviously. No. Yeah. So you got Chargers. Then you got Oakland, the worst team ever. Then you got the Patriots. Then you got the Saints, who are absolutely terrifying and have a lot of things that are the Steelers kryptonite. Uh, especially when it comes to their offense and their game planning and their style of play. And then you have the Bengals and Andy Dalton is now out for the year. So that, that game did just get easier, but here's the way I look at it. I was talking to P Butch earlier. We got to have back on the podcast at some point by popular demand, by the way, shout out to P Butch. The next game is against the chargers. If the Steelers had taken care of business and won against the Broncos this past weekend, I would be, 
okay if they lost to the Chargers as long as it was a competitive game. Now, obviously, I'm never okay with the Steelers losing, but what I mean by that is I think that the Chargers and the Steelers are two incredibly evenly matched teams. They're kind of neck and neck at this point, and you could see them splitting a 10-game series 5-5, to right? So if you lost, if you beat the Broncos and you lost to the Chargers, you say, well, crap, you know, they're a good team. I think we could get them the next time. Luckily, we beat the Broncos. So from a record standpoint and a playoff standpoint, we're okay. Because we said this last week. If you beat the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Bengals, you're going to the playoffs. Even if you lose to the Chargers, the Patriots, and the Saints. Well, you lost to the Broncos. So now you have to beat the Chargers because I think the Patriots and the Saints games are going to be very difficult. If the Steelers beat the Chargers this weekend – which I think we got a great chance. We're at home in prime time. I do think the Steelers will win that game. Melvin Gordon, their best player, outside of Joey Bosa, is out. If the Steelers beat the Chargers, I feel great about where they're at. If they lose to the Chargers, we, we're going to have to pull one out against New England or uh, the Saints. So we're on a streak. Unfortunately, it's a negative streak. We were 0 for 2 this week, uh, 0 for 2 last week in my bookie because we just bet the Steelers. We take the points. We give the points. Whatever the Steelers are, we take the Steelers. We lost at the halftime score, and we lost, obviously, in the final score. But we will persevere. We will. And so and will we'll continue my- to throw good money after bad. <laughs> um, hold on. Give Sorry. me one second here. Let me check my stocks. Sorry, okay, they're looking great, uh, even with our bad betting this week. But we will bet on the Steelman again, and when we do bet on the Steelman, we bet on them using my bookie. And we've been talking about them all season for you guys. Cool thing about them is they have all different kind of ways that you can bet. You can do prop bets. You can do fantasy bets. You can do bets in-game. You can bet on one single game. You can even bet on one single player to perform or underperform from a fantasy standpoint. So that gives you a great edge when betting on the game within the game. And that's some that's some meta stuff right there. That's inception of betting, if you will. They got a ton of bonuses and welcome, uh, welcome offers and stuff like that. If you use our code OUTPOST25, Outpost 25. And they've got a great, super easy mobile site that is easy to use. They've got a sleek design. It's really a thing of beauty. So a ton of generous bonus options and easy to use customer service. You get to talk to real people. Just remember that who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And the current line is the Steelers uh, giving three and a half points against the Chargers. Oh, well, the Steel Men are about to win this game by 48 points. All right. I'm all in. So let's Visit get to the grades. AG online today, yeah. by the way. That's the address, myboogie.ag. Moving now on we get to the grades, starting with the quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. Well, you just got to give him an A-plus for being the best quarterback to ever walk the face of this earth and that the earth will ever see. Right? Okay. How about this earth now? Let's, okay. let's be realistic well, about this well, game. Here's what I got to say about Ben. He had a he had an awesome game. He had a great game, and then his pick at the at the one yard line it was bad, man. Like I said before, it was getting picked off by the corner if the nose tackle didn't didn't pick it off. And we talked about this with James Conner week one against the Browns. Not all turnovers are created equal, and. James Conner's turnover in the beginning and the end of the Browns game was particularly bad because of the situation and that he's a running back and your job is to be able to, to, to end that game. But it was even worse because it was in our own territory and it 
gave the Browns seven points automatically. Well, this was a very bad turnover for Ben, also from the standpoint that, like, this is what you do, man. You just let another game-winning drive. You can't throw a pick at the one. That was poop. It was doomed from the start. Uh, the other pick is more forgivable when you see the guy holding on to AB. But I thought that besides that, he played an awesome game. Spread the ball out, almost have 600 yards. The big miss to Juju is another big, big red mark. But, hey, Washington kind of fed that favor back to him by dropping a good pass that for some reason he wanted to lay out for. So had a good game, but with those black spots, I got to kind of take him down a notch. So he gets a grade of B+. Plus. B+. Plus. So uh, moves, moves us to running back, even though we saw a, a dose of, sorry, not Ridley, but uh, Samuels in the game, who wasn't didn't actually run the ball. But uh, so this is all James Conner, really. Once again, he's kind of a victim of not getting the ball enough. And I know that uh, our Twitter detractors will will love to hear that. Um, I'm not saying he needed the ball more, but I'm saying it does make him difficult to grade. I do have to say this, though. I mean, he is plummeting right now, isn't he? I I think that he's going to recover because he had a good game and he ran hard up until yet another fourth quarter fumble. I know it was the last play of the third quarter. Well, look, I think I'm hopeful because he was not considered a, a good blocker last year. He worked on that. He fixed it. He's a great blocker. I mean, look at how look at how Ben was protected this time. We'll talk about it when we get the offensive line. I, I assume that's something that's going to be a, an area of focus for him. I'll correct that. He's going to fix that. He's a very self-aware guy. I feel bad for him right now. And he got bailed out against the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. He did not get bailed out. What horrific time for a fumble. That was like a 20-yard screen pass, that catch and run to start the fourth quarter. And, um, man, just he's, he's got to get rid of that. He's got to get over it because you can see he looks dejected. But, uh, once again, situational. What a terrible time to fumble the, fumble the ball. He gets a grade of C-. minus. Moving on to the wide receivers. One of the most tremendous plays. And what was the statistic that uh, I called it to that 97-yard pass, pass play? Was Juju is the second player with multiple – Receptions over 97-yard touchdowns. The last guy being Gaynell Tinsley in 1937. Yeah, so that's not even Super Bowl era. And I called it when he when he scored the touchdown. I said, I think he's the first one ever to have multiple touchdowns over 96 yards. And in the Super Bowl era, he is. So he's a star. Juju is is clearly, if not a number one receiver, right on the borderline of that. Um, Vance Joseph admitted in postgame, which kind of affects this next note for me, that their main goal was really to take away 84. And I know they said earlier that it was to take away 84 and 19, but Joseph did said specifically he has been in games where Antonio Brown has single-handedly beat his teams. The last time A.B. played the Broncos was one of A.B.'s best games of his career. 16 catches on a red-hot Chris Harris at the time, like 159 yards, two touchdowns. They did not want to let A.B. do that, so they kind of – they put the, the clamps on him and took their chances with Juju, and that seemed like a pretty stupid idea because Juju dominated them. I do think something's kind of up with A.B. There was a report earlier in this week that he actually might have a sickle cell uh, condition, sort of like what Ryan Clark had that made it so that Ryan Clark was never able to play when we played in Denver. A.B. got really mad at that report, so I'm not sure if it was true or not. I mean, even if he does have it, he's a superhuman, so you know he'd play anyways. But, but he uh, had that mask plastered to his face anytime he was on the sideline, and the camera got a call of him, but uh, a catch of him. But uh, I wouldn't extrapolate that. We have no idea. 
We don't know. And he, he looked great. Although, man, that, that sideline catch, I can't believe he didn't get his toe in. Uh, you're spoiled. I am so spoiled. I was telling our friend Andre on the couch who was with me that day when we were watching the game with a few people at the apartment. We always have this. It's not really a joke. It's just a, a sort of ceremony. Whenever AB makes a crazy catch on the sideline and it initially gets uh, ruled, at least by the announcers, as no catch, we always look at each other and say, like, you don't have to replay it. Just move the ball. He caught it. Because every time it seems that when they replay that, he somehow drags his toe. Didn't get it done that time. And uh, then there was another one where he didn't turn around. So I don't know what, what's up with him. I hope that he can stay patient while Juju is shining because Juju is really benefiting from the attention that AB gets. So we are disappointed, but we haven't written off James Washington. Flashes, he was in positions to make big plays, and he's just not finishing. I mean, he blew it. He was he's he's been garbage this year so far, and and he hasn't had a, a lot of opportunities, but he's had a few. I know some people are gonna be mad when I say he's garbage, but I'm mad at him for just dropping. You have one job, dude. We drafted you to go deep, and for some reason, you lay out instead of running through the ball and scoring. I mean, he's another one like James Conner, where this just seems to be in his head. We're spoiled as Steelers fans for a receiver. Rookie receivers were like. But, What's wrong with you? What does it take? Six, seven games until you become a superstar? So I'm not writing him off. He was so spectacular in the preseason. I think he can become a good player. He's got a good work ethic. But I think it's time to kind of move on from him for this year and uh, take out the new toy, Switzer, because he had a breakout game as wide receiver. Uh, yeah, so Ryan, Ryan Switzer had six receptions on eight targets for 67 yards. And again, some critical down receptions. Yeah, third down machine. But the best ones were that I finally saw him make some catches over 20 yards where he's getting uh, like skinny posts in between two guys, making the catch and getting crushed and holding on to it. Very Eli Rogers-esque, but with a little bit more precision even. So uh, the re- one of the reasons why they haven't had him on the field as much is because he plays slot receiver strictly. And we really like keeping Juju in the slot because Juju's so good at it. He's such a mismatch as a big body. But it looks like you might have to move Juju more to the outside more often uh, to, get, to make room for Switzer on the field because he's a consistent producer. The wide receivers get a grade of B+. Plus, B plus. Which takes us to the tight ends. And we have gone over ad nauseum by Xavier Grimble ruining the game for us on his erstwhile <laughs> touchdown run. Yeah, poor. I love Xavier Grimble. That was terrible, but uh, that was horrific. If you're going to rank the turnovers and how bad they are, that to me is definitely number one because the man was literally in the end zone. It wasn't like you know Ben throws a pick at the one. Maybe you would you probably would have scored the next play 90 percent. Nope, this was a touchdown if you just didn't drop it. Terrible turnover. Vance and Jesse had a couple nice plays, but they were mostly invisible. They get graded on the Grimble curve right now. Tight ends get a grade of C. Let's talk about a real shining star in this game, and that is the offensive line. We are down to our third-string offensive tackle. Denver is known for its linebackers, Von Miller, and um, help me. Uh, Bradley Chubb, the new guy. Bradley Chubb. Chooks a corner for. He had a lot of help during the game like we knew he would, but, man, he held up, and he didn't look out of place. We're far cry away from those Mike Adams days when you would put him in a tackle and you knew there were going to be five sacks. So they held up great 56 pass attempts. Maybe I graded them too low. 
And what did they get? Two sacks on him? They had what Vaughn had one incredible sack that nobody could have blocked. Honestly, I gotta give them a grade of A plus. A plus. And uh let's end up with the uh, Feetmeister, offensive coordinator. Some people complain about him because some people are basic. There's a there's a word I want to say, but we try to keep this keep this family friendly. So they're basic football fans. They're fantasy football fans. When people don't know how to talk about a football game, they talk about the offensive coordinator. Let me talk about the stupid things he did first. That goal line shovel pass, it needs to go for a while, man. It hasn't worked. You've run it in half of the games. It did not work against Jacksonville. You're lucky. You're lucky that the greatest quarterback of all time, AKA the gunslinger, AKA big Ben, dove into the end zone to to save you on another terrible call where the Jaguars literally knew the play last week. Well, guess what? The Broncos also literally knew the play this week. You you got to find some new plays, Feetmaster. And then uh, the RPO, the run pass option that they did call on the, on the eventual last play of the game. It's a good call. I feel like in that part of the field, but it's just a weird call because the Steelers don't really run that. It was obviously doomed because of the snap was a little low, but that was a little funky. People are giving him crap also for the trick play on the first drive when AB threw it. But uh, honestly, Jalen Samuels, the intended target there, he was wide open. That would have been a touchdown if AB had put it ahead ahead of him. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, I thought that Fiener was really good. I thought the the game plan of coming out there with the short passes in the first half was awesome. Negated some of Denver's strength. Doesn't let the pass rush get to you. And then they adjusted and started hitting more downfield in the second half. I give him a grade of A. I'll talk a little bit about the defense in general. It's it's kind of hard to uh, rank each of these positions, but the Steelers held the Broncos to 27% on third down conversions, like we said before. Their season average has been 35%. Held them to 308 yards against an average of 372 yards. The defense permitted Denver to cross midfield only four drives. So Manny Sanders was largely held in check. He did have a splash play of 38 yards, and uh, but we were susceptible to some critical passes to tight ends to uh, Herman, Herman Goering, I'm sorry, Jeff Herman and Matt Lacoste. But the statistic that mattered most was the drives ending in a score. And coming to the game, Denver ranked 24th with 25% of their drives ending in a score. The Steelers permitted them to score on one-third of their possessions. Admittedly, Denver benefited from the Chris Harris interception to start a TD drive from the Pittsburgh 43. But generally, this, the, um, the average start starting yard line for Denver was the 25. So in the end, the statistic that mattered was that the defense permitted Denver to score one more point than its season average. So, you know, you could talk about the grade. I think it kind of warrants a, a, a B at best. I thought that they were stout at times, but let some splash plays, especially with Phillips. He had 38-yard run. Sorry, let me get to my statistic. 18, 12, 8, and 8. So there were some splash plays that weren't prevented. Moving on to the defensive line in particular, I uh, nine tackles, two quarterback hits, and one sack. I have rated the I because omniscient, unknowing, uh, rate the D-line a B. Yeah, they were all right. They definitely got gashed in that run game a few times. I really hope Stefan Tuitt gets back, but it is nice to see Javon Hargrave ball out in his absence. He's been playing really well after kind of disappearing after that studly rookie season. Yeah. 
let me let me cut to the chase. I rated everybody a B in this game. I think they worked in lockstep. They did okay. The scary moment was JJ Watt with his TJ pugil. I'm sorry, TJ. Everyone does it. I wish we had. I wish we had JJ too. So TJ Watt with a pugilistic move to remove the ball from the carrier. Nearly, what did he shatter? It looked like he shattered his wrist. And he comes out five plays later with a wasn't even a club. I think they put a band aid on his wrist and he came back out. He's a Midwestern boy. He tried to hit him with that Falcon punch. If you guys have played Super Smash Bros. before, I have never seen someone punch that violently. Usually it's more of like a club. Nope. He hit him with like a, not a haymaker. It was like a, can you call that a jab? What do you call it? It was too big for a jab. I mean, it was the Falcon punch. That's what it was. And they said he was questionable to come back. Nah, he was back before you could even say lickety split. So moving on to the special teams, as you know, you, you can't you can't grade these guys in a bundle. We'll, we'll go one by one. We'll look at Ryan Switzer and his special teams play. Yes, he had a great game as receiver, but that fumble was telling. Jeez, man. Yeah, that's the first time I've seen him try to field one with a bunch of people around him, and uh, it did not go well. I think we recovered that one, thankfully, though. So Switzer had three punt returns, an average of two yards a carry. So not much of an opportunity, but the one opportunity he did have, he fumbled it. Switzer gets a D. Jordan Berry. Jordan okay. Berry. Jordan Berry had a great game. He had a, a one short punt, but he got everything within the 20. He had a uh, he got the ball to the 21, to the 16, to the 10. He was affected this game, and Jordan Berry gets an A. Yep. Boswell, again, not much of an opportunity. No, no kickoffs for return. Great. 41-yard field goal and two extra points. Right now, I feel like we are living on house money with Boswell, given this beginning uh, of the season. We're giving him an A+. Feel free to jump in here. These are all my grades and my assessment. His his offensive production in? The nice little spiral he threw to Alejandro Villanueva for the Uh, tutty? We should have put him under the quarterback category, shouldn't we have? Quarterback. All he does is throw touchdowns. Do you want to see what his uh, quarterback rating was? Perfect, right? What, 154? I think he got a quarterback rating. I have to find out what it is. Anyway, Boswell had a quarterback rating of 118.8. How do you get a perfect score? One for one and all he does is throw tutties. He yeah. threw a touchdown. It was one for one, and that one was a touchdown. He only got 118. Ben had 158 last week. To finish up kickoff coverage, three touchbacks, one punt for six yards. They get an A. And Danny Smith, I yeah, I have to agree with some of the scuttlebutt on Twitter. We should have seen that coming. That guy should not have come in there to block that field goal. So, Danny, uh, otherwise everything's good. That one play drops you down to a C. He's done it. The thing is that guy, 31 for Denver, has, has done that three times already, like this year. I'm not sure if it's over the year, last year and a half, but they do the same move. The little Cam Chancellor, Troy Palmolo jump over the line. How are you not prepared for that? Danny Smith, he, he is a high-variance kind of coach. They do, we do some awesome things on special teams, and we do some terrible things. He kind of canceled himself out there with the, uh, with the uh, touchdown from Boz and then the, the block field goal there. So that brings us to the end of our show. We are faced, as we said, we are facing a big, big game next week. We are very positive about, about our possibility of beating the Chargers, the 8-3 and three Chargers at home. What time is that game? Is that a late game? I think they shifted it to the late game, which is great for the Steelmen because you know how we love those lights. I did want to say this just regarding the next few games, you guys. Uh, you know, if we 
here's the way that I've been looking at the end of the season. I think the Steelers, if if they can take care of business, especially against the Chargers, I'll feel even better. And then if they beat the Raiders and the Bengals, they could even lose to New England and New Orleans as long as they do it competitively. And I'm still going to feel good about, you know, decent about their Super Bowl chances, if you will. Nay, not decent. Good. Now, I, I wouldn't be overly discouraged from this Denver loss. My view is this. The Steelers have a super hard, super difficult end of the schedule here, whereas the Patriots and the Texans and some of those other teams have just unbelievably cupcake ends to the season. So the chances of the Steelers keeping that second seed that we had before this week, it sucks to see them lose it, but I just didn't really see us being able to hold on to that because the other teams just have such easy schedules to get it to happen. So listen – the hope is that the Steelers win this division. They'll get at least one home game in the playoffs, and then we're going to go road warriors, baby. But that's looking a little bit too far ahead. Um, once again, Melvin Ing- or uh, Melvin Gordon out running back for the Chargers. Prime time this week. Steelmen crushing the L.A. Chargers, bringing them back down to earth. Hey, we love to hear from Jens, and we have several ways for you to get in touch with us. Number one, we've been talking about it all all uh, episode. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. You can leave a note on our website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost.gmail.com. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to stop doing? You're giving me the cut signal. So the one well, question is, is oh. we were gonna, I'm sorry, there was something we were going to announce here. I'm seeing it come up uh, in my ear from the producer, and I want to say they actually want to announce it next week. So we're, we'll tease it for you guys. But uh, All right, so we have some big social media news coming up for you next week. That's right. So you can hit us up on the Twitter. Where else can they hit us up? I think I just went through all those things. Oh, you did? You yeah. just smooth. So until next In my ears. Yeah. So until next week, thank you for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 